<laughs> All right, we're going to finish up Daniel chapter 11. So if you have your Bibles, open up Daniel chapter 11. We're going to pick it up in verse 36 to the end. And if you've been with us through most of Daniel 11, it's been like doing a history lesson for us. Don't lose the fact that as Daniel's been delivering his prophetic word, it was all future to him. So for us, we look back and we see bit by bit, we just worked historically through the silent years, what's called the 400 silent years, where there was no prophet. And uh, Daniel, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, provides for the people a, an outline of what that time's going to look like. All the way, leading all the way up to Christ. Okay, so we know he's going to come during the Roman Empire, according to Daniel. And so it's all laid out for us. Now, in beginning in verse 36, we lift our eyes. Because from 36 through, we don't have a historical fulfillment. And so when we come there, we begin to, to look down further down the line. Now, you've heard me talk about this before. Daniel does this. In Daniel, beginning of Daniel, Daniel chapter 2, we see Nebuchadnezzar have a dream, right? Four kingdoms, everybody remember them? Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, Rome, right? We all know there's more kingdoms than that in the world, right? Why does he give us those four? Well, there were kingdoms before that, Assyria, Egypt. There's kingdoms after that. Why those four? Babylon begins, we've discussed this a little bit, Babylon begins what is known as the time of the Gentiles. Meaning from the period of Babylon until, well, let's say 1948, someone else was in control of the Holy Land. Either Babylon or the Medo-Persians or the Greeks or the Romans. So you have this picture beginning the time of the Gentiles, when the Gentiles are going to have run over the nation of Israel. You see the, the kingdoms leading up to Messiah. Remember, in the period dealing with Rome, we see that a, a stone not cut out with hands from the heavens is going to destroy the kingdoms of men and grow into the kingdom of God. So that would indicate to us during that fourth empire, Rome, we would see Messiah, which Daniel chapter 9 even told us the day he's going to come in, right? When he's going to enter in. And so Daniel 11 looks down now after the, the Babylonians and the Medo-Persians and the Greeks. It goes into delineating for us the passing away of the Greek empire, that third empire, and the installation of the fourth, which is Rome. And you remember, we talked about Antiochus was doing all these crazy things. He becomes a picture of the Antichrist. You see Antiochus doing all these crazy things and Israel reaching out to the new kid on the block, Rome, for help. And then you have the integration over time of Rome as that fourth empire. So these empires all have to do with the, the installation of the Gentiles over the nation of Israel and the coming of Messiah. But they go beyond that too, right? 
So you see all these events leading up to Christ, but there's also this sense that there's a, a span of time occurring because the stone strikes the, the statue, but then it grows into the kingdom. It's not instant. It grows into the kingdom of God. We see the Daniel 11 go through all the history leading up to Rome, and then all of a sudden his eyes lift up, and you're going to start seeing similarities between Daniel 11, 36 to 45, and the book of Revelation. You guys have heard of that before, right? So we're going to start to see parallels between these two, which cause most, not all commentators, but most commentators to go, hey, he's lifting his eyes to the concept of Antichrist. Where's he, what's he going to look like? The, the last guy. When we did Ezekiel, remember we talked about Gog and Magog, and we said big war, God's going to deliver the people from wicked, they're going to come from the north, they're going to come down into Israel. We discussed the idea that it's a metaphor, a metaphor for the enemies of God coming against, rebelling against God, and God delivering ultimately the people from wickedness. Revelation, we see how that deliverance occurs. Daniel 11, we see all these pictures of what the Antichrist was in days of old. But there are scriptures written in the New Testament that tell us there's another king coming. Daniel 11, 36 to 45 is going to focus in on this king. Just as a, a way to kind of wrap our minds around that concept, it begins, Daniel 11, I just want to share a couple of verses. We'll, we'll get back to 36 in a sec. Daniel 11, verse 40 says, at the time of the end. So that should be a clue, right? At the time of the end, the king of the south shall attack and the king of the north shall rush him like a whirlwind. So his, it's like Daniel's lifting his eyes, right? Looking further down into time. In Daniel 12, verse 1, it says that that time shall arise Michael, the great prince who has charge over your people, and there will be a time of trouble such as never been since there was a nation until that time. But at that time, your people shall be delivered. Everyone whose name is found, where? Written in the book. What's that book called? That's right. Matthew 24, verse 21 through 22 says, For then there shall be great tribulation, such as has not been from the beginning of the world until now, no, and never will be. So sounds like we're talking about similar instances, right, that, that Daniel's laying out for. So we call this section the section on the willful king. So he's going to give us some demarcation, some, some uh, context of the, the final Antichrist. Let's take a look. It says in verse 36, And the king shall do as he wills, the willful king. He shall exalt himself and magnify himself above every god. He shall speak astonishing things against the god of gods. He shall prosper until the indignation, uh, another word for indignation is wrath, until the indignation is accomplished, for what is decreed shall be done. So we, we would 
take a look at this as being a movement of the Antichrist we read about in the book of Revelation. Revelation 13, 2 says, And the beast that I saw was like a leopard, its feet like a bear, its mouth like a lion's, and to it the dragon gave his power and his throne and great authority. We see him elevating himself. Ultimately, this Antichrist, the last world leader, leading the last world rebellion, the last armies who will gather themselves for the last battle against God, right? All of these last, he's saying, this guy is going to be the final tool of Satan. Going to be led. And you see the animals that, that Revelation uses. Those aren't accidental. You should recognize those. We saw those in Daniel. So there's pieces. The description of the animals, right? It's an illustration. There's pieces of all the other world kingdoms in that final world kingdom. It's a little bit like Greece, a little bit like Medo-Persia, a little bit like Babylon, a little bit like Rome. They have parts what do they all have in common? All the kingdoms of men, we've talked about this. What do they all have in common? They ultimately have a desire to lead people in rebellion against God. Can you recognize that in our world today? Is the government of the world, is the, the governments around the world, they, are they driving us toward the Lord or away? Is there a move to see the world united in one great attitude against God? For sure. And has that happened before? Yeah, over and over and over. And there will be one more time. Now, is this the last time? I don't know. Are you ready? Then it won't matter. Right? If this is it, then hallelujah, praise you the Lord, because I'm good. But if there's more to come, well, then the Lord will give us what we need for the journey yet before us, won't he? So we want to keep our eyes. We want to understand. Paul wrote to us in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, key chapter if you want to understand uh, the study of end times. In 2 Thessalonians 2, verses 9 and 10, it says, The coming of the lawless one. Now this is Paul writing. That's long after Antiochus Epiphanes. He's been in the ground hundreds of years. Paul says there's going to be one more guy. We're going to call him the lawless one. He says, the coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan with all power, signs, and wonders. Do you know that God never tells us to look for signs and wonders? It takes preachers on TV to tell you that. God never says, look for signs and wonders. He never does. He warns us that the last leader of the world in rebellion against God is going to come forward with lying signs and wonders everybody's gonna want to follow him he's not gonna have to drag anybody people will want to follow him but he's the lawless one he's rejected god he's rejected god's law he's rejected god's word he's rejected god's will he wants to do his own will look at verse 10 of second thessalonians chapter 2 and with all wicked deception for those who are perishing why because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. They refuse to love the truth. 
in these last days, as we, as we come, I, I don't want to steal any thunder from Mark's message he's going to preach at, at the men's uh, conference day, but there is a last day's deception we need to be careful of. The Bible warns us, right, that if possible, even the very elect could be deceived. So it's not because a teacher says something or we trust this guy or we trust that guy. We have to have a love for the truth, the word of God. That's our anchor. So if it gets outside, we don't color outside the edges. We stay in the word of God because that's our foundation. By If I was to say to you, why shouldn't you do something? And, and then you ask me, well, Jackie, why shouldn't I do that? If my answer is not, because the word of God says you shouldn't do it, then it's my opinion, right? How do we know something is true? Because it's in the word. If the word says it, it's true. And the anchor that we want to stand in so that, so that we would not be deceived in the, in the last days is a love for the truth. That we hold fast to what God has decreed in his word. This king, he's going to want to do his will, his purpose, his plan, ultimately empowered by Satan. And so this is the character of this coming king. He has this attitude that says, I want my will. He's going to be filled with pride, right? He's going to speak astonishing things, uh, magnifying himself above every god. So he, he definitely thinks a lot of himself, right? He's, he is filled with pride. What does, what does our, our world, you know, it, it, it causes me a fair amount of burden when I, I did this crazy thing. I don't know why. I'm going to question it for a while still, but I did it anyway. I went back on Facebook. So... If you see me, there's no picture. I don't really post a lot because most of the time Facebook breaks my heart, but I'm back on there. If you want to be my friend, knock yourself out. But uh, I, it breaks my heart, stuff on there. And I look at it, and all it says over and over again is th this attitude that we have in opposition to God. Like the things that, I don't know, I'm not saying you guys are posting horrible things. I'm just saying there's, there's stuff just on Facebook, just comes on. I don't know. I don't know who's running it, why I see what I see. But when I look at it, it, it breaks my heart, the things that are going on. And I think of Romans chapter 1. It says in Romans 1.21, For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God, nor gave thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking and their hearts were darkened and claiming to be wise, they became as fools. I don't know another way to, to uh, think about our days, the days we're living in. I stumbled across a thing today. Sometimes when I am all finished studying, I'll go on and I'll, I'll go on online and I'll look for, you know, other peace, preachers or other maybe alternate views of whatever I'm doing just to kind of stay abreast of, of what's happening. And, and I just happened to come across this thing that said the MIT um, in, I want to say it was like 1972, something like that, 
they did a program uh, asking how long human civilization would last. So they put, us, put this all in a computer program, right, and let the computer say, and they ran it multiple times, you know, and they take averages, and I'm not an MIT guy. I don't like math. Those are math guys. So they did their math thing, and almost, not all, but the majority of, their, of the things that they ran came down to the decline of human civilization in 2040. But that's 18 years. There would have been a time if you told me, hey, we're, we're headed over to the edge of a cliff in 18 years, I'd have said, oh, I don't know. I don't have a hard time believing that now. Right? It's crazy. I mean, I have, anyways, none of this has anything to do with Daniel, so I'll be quiet. But the point being, hey, we, mankind is picking up steam, moving toward destruction. Right? And Jesus warned us, in the last days, there's deception. So we have to be careful, hold fast to the truth. Right? And we understand this, this willful king, he's going to be filled with pride. This is, if I'm honest, this is one of the things that really concerned me when President Trump ran the first time. Because all I could see was pride. And, and um, you know, I'm not trying to get into a political argument. You guys do what you want and vote for who you want. I don't care. But it was one of the things that concerned me. Because when it looks, when I look at the guy at the end, and I'm not saying that's him, but when I look at the guy at the end, that's one of the marks. He's a man full of pride. He is a man that is going to prosper. He says, the Bible says, he will prosper till the wrath has been accomplished. He will prosper until that which is decreed has been determined. He is going to dominate the world scene until God says that's it. Let me ask you a question. How long did Babylon last? The short answer is, till God said, no more. What about Medo-Persia? Till God said, no more. What about Greece? Till God said, no more. You guys see the picture? As each of these kingdoms rise up in their rebellion against God, one of the things that occurs is, just as the Lord sets the boundary of the oceans, he sets the boundaries of men's kingdoms. There will be a day he does that the last time. All people, everybody doesn't, everybody doesn't see eye to eye on views of the rapture, timing, all the different things. But everybody says Jesus Christ will return. There will be a new heaven and a new earth. And God will wrap everything up. We all, everybody, no matter what their views are and anything else, they all agree on this reality. Jesus Christ is the once and future king. He will return. He will set up a kingdom. He will bring on a new heaven and a new earth and we'll live happily ever after. So we want to be focused. We want to have our eyes set on the things that God is purposing and planning. Now listen to his position in verse 37. He shall pay no attention to the gods of his fathers, or to the one beloved by women. He shall not pay attention to any other God, for he shall magnify himself above all. So when we talk about this, a lot of people have a lot of ideas. Well, he's going to be a, a Jew, or he's going to be Muslim, or he's going to be this, or he's going to be that. All I know <coughs> is what the word says. He's not going to pay attention to the gods of his fathers. So if he is one of those things, you're not going to know it. 
because he's not going to pay any attention to the gods of his fathers. Isn't that what it says? He shall pay no attention to the gods of his fathers or to the one beloved of women. Now, people ask all the time, what does this mean? Some people say, well, that means he's going to be homosexual because he, he doesn't want the love of women. But what we don't understand, in Daniel's time, there was a focus. And we, we have to look at who Daniel's writing to and what Daniel's talking about. He's, he's writing to Jews. What was the, the one beloved of women? What did every woman want to be uh, a part of? The bringing in of Messiah. So when it says he, he, he doesn't care about the gods of their fathers or about the one beloved of women. He doesn't care about Messiah. He doesn't care about the God of his fathers. He's not a religious guy. He exalts himself above all. He exalts himself above all. He shall not pay attention to any other God. He will magnify himself. This, this phrase, we see, some of you maybe in, the, in your New King James will have, um, uh, he does not have the desire of women. That's a, that's a Hebrew idiom, uh, which means it's a figure of speech. It's a phrase that's used of women who worship Tammuz. So they were called women, uh, the desire of women. The desire of women was Tammuz. You remember the false worship of Tammuz? The Bible talks about that. That's also an idiomatic phrase for the desire of the Jewish women to give birth to Messiah, to bring on the Son of God, to bring on the Prince, the promise that God had given. So he is going to be 100% atheistic. He's not going to be a good rabbi. He's not going to be a good imam. He's not going to be any of those things, at least not according to Daniel. Daniel 7.25 says that he will speak words against the Most High. He will wear out the saints of the Most High. He shall think to change the times and the law, and they will be given into his hand for time, times, and a half time. That's an interesting phrase, right? Time, times, time is one, times is two, and a half time. That's three and a half. Three and a half years. Uh, Revelation is going to talk about 42 months, which is how long? Three and a half years. Crazy, isn't it? I'm sure it's just circumstantial. Right? Revelation 13 says, The beast was given a mouth uttering haughty and blasphemous words, and it was allowed to exercise authority for 42 months. Time, times, and a half time. It opened its mouth to utter blasphemies against God, blaspheming his name, his dwelling, and those who dwell in heaven. You have Revelation talking, the way Revelation is talking about the beast, that final world ruler and that final world empire, and the way Daniel's talking about him, it looks the same, right? And we don't have a, a, a period in history to point to and say well here's when this happened so we believe daniel is looking at that final world leader second thessalonians 2 4 paul writing about the antichrist he says this uh, who oppresses and exalts himself against every so-called god second thessalonians 2 4 <clears throat> he opposes and exalts himself against every so doesn't that sound like what daniel just said 
or object of worship so that he takes his seat in the temple of God. Paul wrote that. When Paul wrote that, there was a temple, right? Is there one now? He took his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. In order for what Paul wrote to take place, there's going to be a rebuilt temple, right? He is going to be a man about worship of self. He's going to declare himself to be God. Back in Daniel 11, we look at his power. Look at his power. Daniel eleven thirty eight. He shall honor the God of fortresses instead of these. So he's going to honor a God. But what's his focus? He's going to honor a God of war. The God of fortresses instead of these. A God whom his fathers did not know. He shall honor with gold and silver, precious stones and costly gifts. What's going to happen in this final world order? What's going to happen under this willful king? He's going to use a false deity to control people. Doesn't it say that in Revelation? He's going to create an image. And he's going to require that everyone do what? Bow down and worship. To take the number of the beast, right? To be owned by the enemy, to be owned by Satan himself. And so the attitude, he's not, he don't, this is not because he's bowing down. He serves a God of war. He's going to have a war machine. He's going to have an army. He's going to put together this army so that he can hold the world, He's going to build these things, the God of his, not, not like the God of his fathers. And he's going to use gold and silver, precious stones, and costly gifts. Remember when we were talking about Antiochus? The majority of the time, he didn't win somebody by, by shooting off a bunch of bombs. He won by intrigue. He won by, by making deals in back rooms by getting other people to portray other people. And he utilized that. And one of the things it's talking about here is that Antichrist is going to use a false god to accomplish this. Revelation tells us that. He's going to use a false religious system. You guys read Revelation? You know, familiar with the idea of the woman who rides the beast? A false religious system. Babylon is following. Babylon, Babylon. He's going to utilize a system to control the masses through religion. Is that, is that a new idea? No, it's not new. Did Nebuchadnezzar do it? Did Nebuchadnezzar set up a statue and require all men to bow down and worship it? Yeah. Did Rome do it? Yeah. This is not new concepts. These are things we have seen in the fallen uh, kingdoms of men. And this is something that will rise again. Only this time it'll be like nothing we've seen before. This is going to be something you can't miss. This is something that, that uh, the world has not ever seen before. Edward Gibbon wrote a book called The Rise and Fall of the Roman Empire. I don't know if you guys have ever read it. If you haven't, it's a good book to read. One of the things he talks about, he says this of worship in the, the rise and fall of the Roman Empire. 
The various modes of worship which prevailed in the Roman world were all considered by the people as equally true, by all the philosophers as equally false, by all the rulers as equally useful, and thus toleration produced not only mutual indulgence, but even religious concord. The world today is preaching toleration of everything but the truth. Not toleration of everything. Toleration of everything that's willing to tolerate everything. Right? And when you have toleration of everything that's willing to tolerate everything, you are abandoning any form of truth because truth can't exist in that paradigm. Right? You guys understand? If I say you're right and you say I'm right, then neither one of us can be right. And that's what, that is what is going to be utilized by the Antichrist. That message is already being preached. There's, there's this thing that the Bible tells in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 that says the Antichrist won't come until there is an apostasia, a falling away. You guys know for roughly, I want to say it's been going on for about 10 years, they've been talking about this thing called deconstruction, where people are deconstructing their faith or abandoning their faith. The Bible calls that, it doesn't have a fancy word like deconstruction, it calls it apostasia. People are abandoning their faith, the faith of their fathers. They're abandoning the faith they grew up in. They're, they're leaving in droves. Second Thessalonians chapter 2 said that's one of the signs of the end of days. Before the revealing of the Antichrist, there would be a falling away. And so we, we see this message that, he's, that Daniel wrote about... <laughs> Right, what, 3,000 years ago? I don't know. Long time. He's like, look, this is already being, what did Paul, what did Paul tell us? Jesus even said, look, there, there are even many antichrists now. When he was talking to his disciples, right? He's like, this attitude, the attitude that is antichrist, the attitude that is move Christ off the throne and put me there, that's not a new attitude. But it's moving in progression toward an end. It's moving toward its conclusion. Verse 39, Daniel 11. He shall deal with the strongest fortresses with the help of a foreign god. So this doesn't mean that some god's going to swoop down out of the heavens and deliver him. This means he's going to utilize religion like we've been talking about to pacify the strong fortresses, the places he can't conquer, they're going to be pacified by his ability to speak, his charisma, and the deals that he makes with this religious system that he utilizes to, to polarize the world to himself. So he's going to utilize a foreign god. Those who acknowledge him, he shall load with honor. Remember Antiochus? Remember he got two brothers to go to war against each other? Yeah, look, I'll, I'll give you a bunch of gold and silver. Let, look, at, I'll, let me fill your house up with money. 
There's no end to, to what evil man will do for another buck, right? This is happening on the national level. You guys know that stuff happens now, right? So we probably don't want to know what's really going on with Russia and Ukraine. We probably don't want to know what deals are made with who, who did what to whatever and all, you know, and, and we never will. I doubtful any of those things will come up. You know, they, they've already announced that, the, that they have Hunter Biden's laptop with all this evidence on it that you'll probably never see or never hear about. Yeah, they'll stop talking about it. It'll go away. Jeffrey Epstein will get arrested and they'll have all this information on all the world's powerful people and then he'll just die and no one will care anymore. And some of us will scratch our heads and say, how in the world does that happen? Because there are powerful people in back rooms somewhere making deals. And Daniel was talking about it. This is one of the marks of the Antichrist. This is how he's going to develop that final world kingdom. He's going to use intrigue. Listen to what it says. He shall make them rulers over many and divide the land for a price. <laughs> Come on. It blows me away that when I read the Bible and I look at the news and I feel like I've just read the same thing, because these, these things are happening today. This stuff's going on. And here you have this reality being talked about. In Revelation chapter 13, verse 4, it says, And they worshiped the dragon, for he had given his authority to the beast. And they worshiped the beast, saying, Who is like the beast? Who can fight against it? He's going to use this false religious system, the worshiping of the beast, the image, just like Nebuchadnezzar used, just like Rome used. Rome used the worship of Caesar. Nebuchadnezzar used worship of himself to control the people, to give them a religion that he could pacify their desires and control them. And Revelation talks about the same thing. Utilizing these things to bring about the rule over many, dividing up the land. Now, the Bible tells us in the dream, if we go back to Nebuchadnezzar's dream, you had legs of iron, and then you had something changed with the feet. You remember? It was iron mixed with clay, right? And so you have the iron still there, right? It still, still seems like it's part of Rome, but it's weak. The feet are weak. And the ten toes... And it's interesting because you read Revelation and you have a beast with ten horns. And you have this coming up over and over again. The Bible says in Daniel chapter 7, there's a little horn who's going to sprout up. Right? And the Bible talks about that attitude of the Antichrist coming up amongst the world leaders. He's just a little guy. Nobody really thinks much of him. But he makes all these deals happen. So that he can gather the power for what purpose? Ultimately to rebel against God. One last rebellion of mankind. One last rebellion against what the Lord is doing. What's his conquest? Look at verse 40. It says at the end, at the time of the end, 
The king of the south will attack them, but the king of the north will rush them like a whirlwind. Now, wait a minute. Those two guys through this whole chapter have been fighting each other. You remember? King of the north, king of the south, king of the north, king of the south. Remember, you guys were all sleeping during that part, and I was reading you all the stuff. So now you have the same, same verbiage used. So this is, we're t- remember I showed you the map? You got the map still, Jonathan? I showed you the map and I said, this is the area that's called, the Bible calls king of the north. It's south of Russia. It's not Russia. This is the king of the south. King of the south, basically, if I simplify it, it's Egypt and the area surrounding Egypt and Syria and the area surrounding Syria. And it says those two are going to move against Antichrist. They're going to move against the willful king. That's what it says in verse 40. Uh, The king of the south will attack him. The king of the north will attack him with chariots, horsemen, and many ships. I joked about this last time. If gas prices keep going up, you might really see chariots instead of everything else. Chariots, horsemen, many ships, and he shall come into the countries and overflow and pass through. So this is all Revelation talks about the Lord putting hooks in the jaws of the nations to draw them in one final conflict. Now, as that conflict begins, it's man, man has an ability not to be able to get along. Is that news to anyone? Right? Man has a hard time getting along. One nation with another nation, another nation. Somebody's always pecking a fight with somebody else. So they're going to start fighting each other. But the Bible tells in Revelation chapter 19, as this battle's going on, the kings of the east, we'll talk about in a moment, king of the south, king of the north, all gathered against Antichrist. He's holding in his own, you know, he's, he's serves a god of fortresses. He's spent a lot of money on military. He's probably got one of the best militaries money can buy. The Bible says that Jesus Christ is going to return. And all those armies are going to see him. And they're not going to lay down on the ground and say, the return of the king. Now they all have a common enemy. They all have a common enemy. And Jesus Christ, we've talked about before, doesn't need our help. He's the word of God. He just speaks and the battle's over. He will will return as these things are going on. So we have this battle taking place. The beginning of of this struggle within the world as he's gathering his power. Verse 41 says, he will come into the glorious land, that's Israel, and tens of thousands will fall, but these shall be delivered out of his hand. Edom, Moab, and the main parts of the Ammonites. There's a couple of interesting things that strike me here. First off, those three are traditional enemies of Israel. (laughs) That's weird. So those three guys are not going to join in. The Moabites and the Ammonites, those are the the, uh, incestual families of Lot, right? And uh, Edomites, those are Esau, the the, uh, relatives of, of Esau. If you look at those three nations gathered together on a, on a biblical map, uh, that nation goes by another name, Jordan. Now, traditionally, 
They used to be enemies. But of late, Jordan's not pecking any fights with Israel. They're kind of dis, dis, uh, disengaged from that conflict. Now, the Bible says when these armies are all gathering, the Antichrist is going down into the glorious land. You know, the, the Bible tells the, the place of the final battle. What, what's it called? Yeah, Har Megiddo. That Har means mount. Mount Megiddo. The valley there is called the Jezreel Valley. We call it Armageddon, right? Har Megiddo. And that this valley, this valley, when, when Napoleon came there, a lot, of, a lot of wars have been fought, by the way, in the plains of Megiddo. The Jezreel Valley, Napoleon said it's the most perfect battlefield on earth. Interesting. But the, the Bible talks about that being the, the, that site of the last battle. We have these nations, Edom, Moab, and the Ammonites. They're not going to join in. Jordan is going to stay out of it. It says in verse 42, he'll stretch out his hand against the countries. The land of Egypt shall not escape. That's the king of the south. Maybe this is how he funds his, his uh, program. People will say, what? what is there in Egypt to take? I don't know. Isn't that where all the Tutankhamun gold is? I don't know. Maybe. I don't know. Once upon a time, right, Egypt was a seat of great wealth. The breadbasket of that whole area of the world. It's not now. Well, let me say this. We were once a breadbasket of the world, the world. Will we still be? World is a crazy place, isn't it? But the wild part is here the Bible is talking about how these things will come together. Verse 43, he shall become the ruler of the treasures of gold and silver, the precious things of Egypt and the Libyans and the Cushites shall follow in his train. So he's going to gather up their resources, the resources of the king of the south. He's going to gather up those resources and he's going to use it to further his battle. Now look what it says. He's going to begin to feel pressure from the kings of the east. Most of the time we would say that's China. The kings of the east and the kings of the north, right? Syria and those areas around Syria. News from the east and north will alarm him and he will go out with great fury to destroy and devote many to destruction. And he will pitch his palatial tents between the sea and the glorious holy mountain and come to his end where none can help him. If we, if we read the Bible, Revelation chapter 19, listen to Revelation chapter 19, verse 11. We'll just read this section and we'll, we'll close out. It says, Then I saw heaven open, behold, a white horse, and the one sitting upon it is called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head... Many diadems, many crowns. He has a name written, no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, 
are following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. And he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings, Lord of Lords. And I saw an angel standing in the sun, and with a loud voice he called all the birds that fly directly overhead, Come, gather for the great supper of God, to eat the flesh of kings, the flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses, their riders, the flesh of all men, both free and slave, small and great. And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth with all their armies gathered to make war against him. Initially, they gathered to make war against each other. But when he comes back, they have a common, common enemy. And the beast was captured, and with it the false prophet, who in its presence had done signs by which he had deceived those who received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped its image. These two were thrown alive into the lake of fire that burns with sulfur. And the rest were slain by the sword that came out of the mouth of him who was sitting on the horse. See, all he has to do is speak. In the beginning, God spoke and everything was created. And in the end, God will speak and the war will be over. It will be done. The language used is a language to help us understand that it's finished. It's done. There's no more wicked. There's no more that will come post that day. Revelation 20.10 says, And the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire, where the beast and the, pro and the false prophet are, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire which was created for the devil and his angels. A lot of people will ask, why, why would God make a place like hell? What is going on? God's just giving man what he chooses. God created hell for the devil and his angels. This is what the Bible says. But if you say, I will not have you to rule over me, then you will go somewhere God is not ruling, if you will. That place has a name. It's the lake of fire, where those whose names are not written in the Lamb's book of life are. So with the Bible lays out for us this idea, we, as we look at, and the whole point, just, just quickly, the whole point is not to scare us or freak us out. The whole point is to say this, God knows the end and the beginning. And all of history is moving toward a culmination where ultimately God delivers victory. And all along the path, you and I, we have our part to play, our roles as part of uh, the army of God, part of what God has for us to do. Now, maybe we're not on the scene to, to be president but we can be a part of the battle against a culture and rebellion against God, can't we? We are to hold. That's what Jesus said. 
hold. When the children of Israel went into captivity in Babylon, God said, increase, don't decrease, grow, live. Ultimately, Israel could be a light to Babylon, right? But the sad reality is when it was time to go back to Israel, there's only 5,000 who go back. There's more than that who went in the captivity and they had children. There were some who never left Babylon. The Lord says, do business till I come. Not retreat, not hide, not sell your house or your ranch and go on a mountain and wear white and wait for the return of Christ. Do business. Don't withdraw. Don't retreat. Stay engaged. Otherwise, how will you make disciples of every nation he didn't say run to the caves run and hide he said i am with you wherever you go even until the end of the age amen won't you stand with me let's pray father god we thank you for just the opportunity to once again work our way through the book of daniel and I know we have one more chapter still talking about, uh, still talking about, Lord, your ultimate fulfillment of these prophecies, God, your establishing of the, of the kingdom and a new heaven and a new earth and a day when you will wipe away every tear. You promise us these things so that we would know there will be a day. And that day will come. And maybe that day's close, maybe that day's far. But you don't ever say, so I'm telling you all these things so that you could encourage one another. Or you don't tell us to be afraid and cower. You tell us, don't be afraid. I am with you. Encourage one another with these words. The Lord said to my Lord, sit here until I make your enemies your footstool. That as we move toward the final victory that Christ brings, God, you're not calling us to retreat. You're not calling us to flee. You're not calling us to put our head in the sand or to quake in fear. You're calling us to listen for the sound of a trumpet. You're calling us to keep our eyes on the prize. You're calling us to be faithful ministers of the gospel. You're calling us to share the truth with whosoever will. So that on that day, we see you, we will have been good servants of the king. Not servants who Jesus spoke of in Matthew who said, my master delays his coming, and they began to beat other servants and eat and drink and get drunk, and they didn't think the master was coming. And so when he came, they were not ready. God, I pray we would be men and women filled with a desire to please you, to fulfill your purpose, to bring you honor and glory for who you are and what you've done. And we will give you all the praise and the glory for it. In Jesus' name, amen.